You are not who you appear to be. What did you say? I see a man pretending to be something he's not. Do you even know? Know what? Do you know who you are? We're gonna go for a joyride. What dimension are you even in? I don't like the looks of this. It doesn't say how far the detour goes. You've just made a wrong turn heading south, but highways. Welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I am Terry. And we are back for the third episode of the Jordan Peele produced uh, uh, Twilight Zone uh, season two, episode three of the Who of You. We'll talk more about that in a second. Hope you guys enjoyed our conversation about downtime. That was a really, really, really fun episode. Um, and I'm excited to talk about this one, too. So, um, yeah, I got no I got no goofy comments to come into this. I'm just I'm excited to talk about this episode. Yeah, I, I, Jordan Peele is like really setting a standard right now for anthology-based storylines. Like, there is a lot that's going on so far to this point, and I can't wait to talk about this episode. Honestly, yeah, it just I was just occurred to me before we start recording that there's been a weird theme running through all three that are connected, and we'll make. And if I remember this, just teasing everybody, I'll mention it at the end, and we'll see how we feel about it. But yeah. Um, Really strong episode. Like, oop, I tipped my hand. Whatever. So this one's called uh, Season 2, Episode 3, The Who of You, written by Wynn Rosenfeld, uh, who has written the screenplay for the new Candyman film that's coming out that's produced by uh, Jordan Peele Studio, and is also one of the producers of The New Twilight Zone. So I think this was their first script that they've written for the series, uh, but that th- they've done other scripting as well. Not a lot, but based upon this, this also makes me still excited for the new Candyman. Yeah, dude, I'm so excited about the new Candy Man. It's it's one of those uh, things that didn't feel like it necessarily needed a remake, but I'm really really stoked to see what they do with it. Well, even considering that the original one had like a lot of strong social commentary to it in regards to it being set in like is the Chicago projects, right? I think it's Chicago, um, and how like like a lot of urban legends and how people weren't paying attention because it was like uh, minorities dealing with this. Like at the time, this was like the early nineties. Um, I I'm good with an update because I think Candyman is something that can be, um, it could speak to a lot of things. And this feels like right in the wheelhouse of uh, monkey's paw productions. I think that's Jordan Peele's production company. Um, it's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I like just the, um, the trailer alone is so intriguing and it's like so provoking for me to like, 
just give it a try. You know, it doesn't look like it's failing in a lot of the the possible gore that will happen too. Mm-hmm. So I like that about Candyman as well. So yeah, let's doesn't hope, hold back. <laughs> let's hope that October things are good enough for us to go support this film in the theater. Let's just hope, right? Let's that's the one thing because. I would want I want to give the, that film my money and I want to go in person and see it in the theater and experience it. So that that would be a good thing to look forward to. Um, so this was directed by uh, Peter Atencio. I probably didn't say his last name right. I apologize. Um, he directed three episodes of the TV series Last Man on Earth, which is uh, was a Fox show that ran for four seasons. Uh, that's imp- like it's not important, but it ties into one of the cast later. Um, that's a Will Forte series that I watched the first three seasons, loved it. No, it's not that I didn't want to watch the fourth season. It just, it came out and then it got canceled. And I'm like, so I've been like hesitant to watch the fourth season, but I, I dug everything about that show. Um, I don't know if you've seen the last man on earth at all. No, but you, you speak so highly of it it's, on it's your so other uh, podcast yeah. that I'm, I'm so interested in watching it because it has a very good premise. And it also seems very hilarious too. Yeah. Like it it shouldn't be as funny as it is dealing with pretty much like, you know, the remnants of humanity, but it's great. Um, so yeah, uh, that's wonderful. And also, uh, this guy, this gentleman directed the, the film Keanu starring, uh, Keen Peel. Um, uh, you know, I've not seen that, but it's, it's funny, but he also directed 54 episodes of Keen Peel. So it would make sense why he was brought in to be part of this production. Yeah, it seems that he has like a like somewhat of a kinship with a lot of uh, uh, the people that are working with Twilight Zone and have worked on past projects, and that's good. If you if you know that you have good relations and you you have a camaraderie with um, like good talent, bring them back. Like, see what they can do, especially for something like this where it's a one and done. If if it flourishes, great. Like, you know that the sky's the limit after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And the only thing I had for this gentleman otherwise was uh, he did six episodes of the Jean-Claude Van Johnson uh, show. And I, I can't wait to dive into that because I love Jean-Claude Van Damme stuff. And it seems like a really funny premise. So yeah, and I, you, I haven't seen it. I know uh, it only lasted a season, but it sounded like a fun idea for a show. Yeah. And, you know, it's campy enough. And I'm like, yeah, why not? You know, I've, we've seen Jean-Claude Van Damme do a lot of crap films. So. Let's see him do a crap show. Why not? <laughs> well, a brief aside, if you've not seen JCVD, um, that's a really cool movie. It's funny, but it kind of breaks the fourth wall with him being him, but being stuck in the middle of a bank robbery where people expect Jean-Claude Van Damme to do something, but he's an actor and not like this action hero, but it's him also dealing with him at the end of his career of being an action hero. It's it's a really good movie, and he has this really great... Um, like soliloquy where he's looking at like you know, the, the audience breaking the fourth wall. And there's this really cool camera movement as he's talking about being him. Like it's a solid flick. This, this isn't this episode, but, and this isn't that show, but I, I anytime Jean-Claude Van Damme's brought up, people should check out JCVD. It's a really cool movie. Yeah. I, I, I still have to get to that, but uh, yeah. So uh, I guess uh, if we don't have anything for the director here, I uh, guess it's time for cast. huh? Yeah. Uh, uh, get into it. This one, again, we've always tell everybody like just up front, it gets a little weird because these episodes are new. And especially with this one, uh, the, the cast gets a little long, like in terms of names. So after a certain point where I'm like, I don't know where to go with this. So I'll follow your lead. And if there's someone that I have listed, I'll mention it. Otherwise, 
there's a lot of great people that made this episode possible. I don't know if I'm going to mention them all. Yeah, not to discourage any of the the actors or their work, uh, their bodies of work. Uh, I kept it pretty tight, um, considering what they, this episode was really based on. They're waiting for um, our commentary. You and you and me. They're waiting. They're, they're bated breath. Like, am I mentioned? Did Strange Highways mention me? Oh, I can't make it in Hollywood. So this is going to make or break some careers right now. You know, I wait. I wait for that too, <laughs> as well. <laughs> So please uh, take the lead. Uh, good, sir. Right. So first and foremost, we have Ethan Embry as Harry Pine. Um, you would know him best from Empire Records, I would assume. I, I touched on this in the last episode at the very end when we were talking about this in, in our entry. He was Mark. Uh, very goofball, like kind of like the guy that you would have seen at old record stores that knows a lot about like obscure music and seems like he's on hash brownies all the time. <laughs> I loved his character in empire records, but he's also in disturbing behavior. And then he did one episode of the 2002, uh, twilight zone episode. But here is a weird connection with two things that I think that both you and I absolutely adore. And so he was in a movie called Dutch. Oh, was he with, in Dutch um, with Ed O'Neill? Oh, that's yes. a, that's um, a freaking um, all oh, the director uh, shoot. Um, why is it failing me now? The Breakfast Club. Uh, uh, that guy. That, that was one of his films. But I love yeah, Dutch. So, yeah. yeah, Dutch Dutch is great. Um, it, it, you know, Ed O'Neill is one of my all time favorite like um, you know sitcom uh, actors. I think he's hilarious, and uh, it was John Hughes. So John, John Hughes, Hughes was yeah. the writer on that one. So I mean, I one of John one of the important directors of like you know and writers of our childhoods, and I'm just like that guy for the Breakfast Club. Yes, please go, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, and then the continuance of connected tissue with Ed O'Neill is he was in the Dragnet um, series that came back around in the early 2000s. He did 12 episodes alongside as a detective with Ed O'Neill. Huh. I, I, I knew about that dragnet because like it came back and it was very kind of serious and people weren't expecting that from Ed O'Neill at the time. And I did, I know it didn't do well with the viewership, but I think like critically it did. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I, um, I'd forgotten about Ethan Ember being a Dutch. I love Dutch. I love Ed O'Neill with his, uh, his ring. They would turn around before he could just pop something in the head. Like that was, I love that movie. Uh, I've not seen it in years, but good call. Yeah, it's it's a terrific film. I mean, it's one of those. Uh, I think it's a Thanksgiving film, so it it it's a good like side along for um, uh, trains, planes, and automobiles. So you got the double shot there of not only uh, Hughes, but you have Thanksgiving films. Yeah. So. Well, um, well, speaking of Hughes, because I think he maybe not that, that this is me uh, going sideways, but uh, I, maybe he was involved with like no, he wrote uh, Christmas Vacation, right? I think he, he wrote, did. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Okay. So there you go. I was right. Rusty. Uh, so Ethan Embry played Rusty um, Griswold in Vegas Vacation. So not the one Hughes wrote, but that's kind of a sideways connection. Uh, he was in a film called Cheap Thrills from a couple years ago that is just messed up but fun. And then the ending of it's a sucker punch. That's it's all about a game of like the these. It's um oh what's his name Champ Kind 
um, from uh, Anchorman. Uh, him and his his wife, they have a lot of money, and Ethan Embry and another dude see that they're they're spending all this money doing all these games of chance of like at a bar of like I bet you can't do this, I bet you can't do this, and then they get roped in and they go back to their place, and it just takes like this turn, and it gets vicious and. It's a fun, it's one of those like black comedy movies of like, this is horrible. And it's, it's, it's a lot of like glee in terms of like how terrible everybody's being. That's the only way I can describe it. It's a, it's not a feel good movie, but you're laughing because of how terrible everything is. It's a weird line to walk, but Ethan Embry's in that. Uh, he was in 2014's The Guest, uh, which has Dan Stevens in it. Um, I forget the guy who directed that, but that's a cool movie. It's kind of a, like a cool throwback. Um, to almost like a Carpenter-esque, like the, the, with the, the score and you don't know what's going on and everything's uneasy. It's a cool film. Yeah, I, I wanted to see this. Uh, so the Adam uh, Wingard, uh, yes. he directed that. Uh, yeah, that's that that was definitely on my watch list as well. Uh, man, there's just so it, much stuff. It's a stuff. good movie. Um, it's a you, really good movie, yeah. Oh, man, I'm going to have to get back to that stuff. So, yeah, so Ethan Embry touched a lot of different things that uh i think that a lot of people would be interested in um from one spectrum to another dive into his uh his filmography he has a lot of fun things uh, even he like this the small bits that he did in different shows he's been in a lot of different stuff in his uh i think small career yeah um, it, well it's it's interesting because I, I noted as well the the cw or wb uh revival of the twilight zone so it's like Clearly, like he's interested enough that he, he wanted to do it again. Like that's fun for me to see a reoccurring actor want to come back and be like, "Add to the Twilight Zone." I'm going to do this one more time, so they know what they're getting into. And he's well, obviously he's the MVP of this episode. And we'll talk more about that later, but it was good to see him, and he uh, he carried this whole thing like a champ. Hell yeah! So uh, yeah, so not to give all that away. Next on our cast list here, we have Carmel Admit. Um, she pays, uh, Morel, oh, I'm sorry, Morena, Morena, yeah. yeah. Uh, Brune, a brew. Uh, she was the only thing I like found of notoriety here. Now she was in five episodes of ghost wars, which we will touch on again in a minute. Uh, and an episode of arrow. Yeah. Her ep- like, so I watched a lot of arrow, um, for a while. Like I watched a lot of the CW, uh, superhero shows cause, Arrow won me over and it was pretty great. And I'm not, I mean, who knows? I didn't, I've not finished it just because the CW is like, Hey, I heard you like superhero shows that run for 20 plus episodes a season. What if we give you seven or whatever? And I'm like, my brain can't handle this. So I kind of dropped off for a bit. So I didn't see when she was an arrow. Um, but that's always a good thing. Like, you know, you get bringing uh, bit actors that are not bit actors, but people get parts and, um, and a lot of arrow and a lot of the CW shows shoot in Vancouver. So I'm going to guess she, was in a lot of that. And a lot of the people that we found in this most recent season, the twilight zone have been in some CW stuff. So, you know, place and time good on them. Yeah. And I, I, she, she definitely has an up and coming career here. Um, I can see that like there's, she's building momentum, uh, like this ghost wars. It looks interesting enough. Uh, it, it has an Alaskan town that's overrun by paranormal forces. Um, it it sounds interesting enough. It, sadly, it didn't run a very long course. But again, we'll, we have another cast member that was on this uh, okay. series as well. So next we have uh, Daniel Sunjata. Uh, Sun, Sun, yeah, yeah. Sunjata. I, I, again, I, 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 we apologize. That's the way it's written, and we're messing it up. 
His first name's Daniel. Yeah, though. I, yeah. That that one. Yeah, I got that part. Daniel. <laughs> so, Daniel, if you're listening, I'm sorry we just butchered your name. So he's coming for us. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So he plays Def- Detective Frank Reese. Um, I knew him from SVU. He was in 16 episodes of uh, SVU. Oh. Um, I love the series. I can't get enough of it. And I am a freak uh, for for that that whole series. Um, but he also did 93 episodes of Rescue Me, which I wanted to get into. I just haven't had the time. It's such a daunting thing to get into a show that's nearly 100 episodes yeah. or more. That's fair. Because it's like always like the commitment of like, what if I like this? I guess I'm guess I'm done now. You're right. So, um, I I didn't I didn't recognize him because uh, I've not seen Rescue Me or I mean SVU. I mean it's one of those shows that you can dip it out of. I I am I the Law and Order all of them is a guilty pleasure where if it's on, I'll watch all of it. Like I um, you know uh oh what's his name? There there were some of the early people from the original Law and Order that I I could just watch like all the time. Just be like. The detectives, the law, and the order. I enjoy all those shows, and SVU is great too. Because uh, was it Christopher Maloney just punching people and getting angry? I just I love that. Uh, and uh, I, I, I can't wait. I can't. I, I can't wait to see Maloney come back. Just just as a, as a side note, Christopher Maloney's coming back, and hell yeah, because he is my favorite <laughs> character of the SVU universe. So yeah. yes. Um, so uh, yeah, I, yeah, that's awesome. Like, but but Christopher Maloney, he's not in this episode. Just. He, have you you've seen What Hot American Summer, right? Or no, no you've not. The the film uh, we started we started watching it, but there is like a series that leads up to that as well, right? Well, okay, yes. So there was the original movie, and then with Netflix, they did something called The First Day of Camp, which was a, like a ten episode series that was done like years after the movie, so everybody's like older and fatter. Um, so it's like, so, cause what hot American summer takes place on the last day of camp of like 84 or something. So the, 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 the prequel series is supposed to be the first day of camp. And, and so the joke is, is that like everybody's older and like uglier. Uh, so you don't need to watch, like, I'd almost say don't watch that first because, um, it, it's, it's funny on its own. But watching the original film and then going back and watching the prequel, the way they sew everything together for this dumb like comedy that was a take on like summer camp films and how they weave everything together to lead towards what happens in that movie. Um, like Star Wars should take some notes, like because they bring everything in. Uh, but Christopher Maloney plays Gene, who is the the um the cook, and just there's just like, he has problems. Like he says things that everyone's like, what did you just say? And he's like, I didn't say that. And there's, there's a point, there's a deleted scene in the first movie, uh, sorry, in the movie where he asks somebody for supplies. So supplies, he's wearing an apron. And as he like, he, he smiles and walks away and goes running up a hill. He's not wearing pants. So you see Christopher Maloney running up a hillside and you just see his ass. So after seeing that, I have a really hard time taking him seriously in SVU. That's not, he's not in this episode, but I asked when, when Chris Maloney is brought up, you got to bring up his ass. Yeah. Uh, if, if uh, some of our listeners have not known that they're going to scramble to find this right away, because I know a few <laughs> of our listeners actually love Chris Maloney, my wife included. So damn it to hell. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. But so, um, Yes, uh, it's exciting he's coming back to SVU because I know it's kind of like it was his calling. So in terms of not calling, but it was like his bread and butter. Uh, but yeah, uh, so for Daniel uh, Sanjata, I will say that I 
He was in The Dark Knight Rises. I couldn't recall him from that. I saw his credit. One episode of 30 Rock. That's great. But he's going to be in, um, and and I think, a a major character uh, in the CBS All Access um, miniseries of The Stand. So I, I think that's worthy of note just because we're seeing a CBS product here and he's going to be in that. And I think he's also really good. I, I liked his presence in this episode. Yeah. And I, I think that he carries himself really well through this episode. And, um, you know, like through watching the episodes of SVU, he didn't get a whole lot of time to shine because of like the kind of character he was in it. But he has some chops, man. I'm, I'm actually really excited to see what he does in the stand. Well, I need to see like like a, a film of him and The Rock being brothers and just fighting the world because I feel like those guys aren't that far apart from each other and they could just punch people and have charisma. That's the movie I need to see now. It, it, side note, too, he got jacked. Just I mean, like oh, the last okay. time I saw him, SVU, <laughs> he was not this big. Okay. Like, dude. So if he's trying to keep like toe to toe with a character like what like what the rock would be in movies net like i I, i'm willing to see that because i want to see him bust some skulls man yeah like he he looks he has that frame right now i've not seen him previously well to my knowledge you know i've clearly i've seen the dark knight rises in that episode 30 rock but i wouldn't i wouldn't be able to pick him out but yeah if the dude's uh getting jacked yeah bring it on um so yeah who else do we have here so we have mel rodriguez um plays officer officer lutz 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 yeah it's it sounded like they said Luntz, Luntz. Yeah, it's L U N T Z Luntz. Um, yeah. right, whatever. Uh, that, that's that's how I read it. Uh, so, uh, Panic Room, uh, with the Jodie Foster film, pretty good film. Um, uh, Last Man on Earth, which you had already touched on. Yep. Um, and then uh, I just there's a little bit of a Cleveland connection here. Few episodes of Hot in Cleveland. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was. He's a main character in Last Man on Earth. He plays a guy named Todd. Uh, he's a delight in that. Like he's such a nice guy, and he, but he's still also like, you know, people are left at the end of the world. Like sometimes they get a little selfish. So there was definitely a point where he found a um, a freezer full of bacon and didn't tell anybody about it, and he ate all the bacon and then had to you know had to lie about it later. So I appreciate that. Um, he, he was, uh, he was also in three episodes of better call Saul. Um, and he had an important part there that kind of set up uh, Saul Goodman's character. And, um, he has done a voice in, uh, the, the, what well, was released directly to Disney plus, but it was supposed to be in theaters. Well, it was from theaters for a second, the film onward. He plays a cop there. Surprise, surprise. Uh, he plays a cop that is a minotaur. So he has four legs in there as opposed to the two here. Um, and he was in three episodes of community. So I, when, when Mel Rodriguez showed up at like when I was seeing the cast and then was seeing him pop up, I was delighted because he, he has really good comedic timing and I, I just like him and I was excited to see him in this. Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't really recognize him from the things that I had listed, but those were the, the, the things that I actually have known or like panic rooms actually the one thing that I actually enjoy as a film, not a great film, but I don't remember him from that film, but here's an admission. I've never seen that or, or empire records actually. Now that I'm just going to admit it here. So yeah. Good. God damn. You need to watch empire records. (laughs) I've read high fidelity and seen the movie. It's almost the same thing, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'll send you a mixtape. It'll be fine. No, I've just, I don't know. I just never got to it. Anyways, uh, so yeah, moving on, we have uh, Billy Billy Porter, 
right? He plays Keith. Uh, five episodes of uh, American History, or not, not American History, American Horror Story. <laughs> American History Story. That's the show I want to watch. Yeah. I yeah, wanna, right. I want to see uh, Ryan Murphy it, go back and do history. That would be weird and a, like way sexier. I'll just say that. Yeah, right. Um, I, I didn't really, I didn't really get into that show uh, after the first season. I just fell off because I didn't enjoy the first season. But yeah, that he was in that, um, and I didn't know anything else from his previous uh, filmography. But his future, I'm really excited to see him uh, do. Cinderella, he's going to be the fairy godmother in nice. Cinderella. I didn't pick up on and that, but here's here's the thing I found that I mentioned to my wife that blew her mind. Uh, he is going to be the voice of Audrey 2 in the remake of Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah, I, I had that too. I'm, I love Little Shop of Horrors. It is a terrific film. One of those like guilty pleasures for me. I like um, a lot of musicals. Um, <laughs> that is a terrific film. And I can see this. I can I like, like the voice and everything, like his charisma that he, like it was the very small amount of charisma that he was given in this episode. I think he was kind of like um, shrouded a little bit in the rest of the storyline. Yeah. But yeah. I, I could see him being a very boisterous character for uh, Audrey too, and I'm excited for that. It's, it's a different take, and I'm I'm cool with that. Like bring it on, because I here here's something else too, just to to mention briefly, and and uh, my wife Mary will be mad at me for saying this. I, I told her I was like, you know, considering that the the movie uh, Little Shop of Horrors was based upon a musical that was based upon a Roger Corman black and white film. Like this isn't a sacred cow. Like you, like it, the musical existed that was taken a different direction than the movie. The original movie was a black comedy, but it wasn't a musical. I was like. You change it and do what you want with it. And she didn't know that it was originally a black and white film. So I had to show her the trailer for it. So that blew her mind. And she loves little shop of horrors. She didn't know it was a movie before it became a musical. Yeah. Jack Nicholson's in it. Yeah. Right. So, but, so, it, but Billy Porter, I didn't know him uh, much from anything. That's just, just because of like what he's been in. I've not seen, like you mentioned American horror story. Um, I, <laughs> I tried giving that series a chance at the beginning, but I, I, I don't know if, if I'm the target market for Ryan Murphy. And I'll just say that because I, I think a lot of people like shock and awe versus like, um, coherence. <laughs> That's what I want to say. And he always tries to find ways to make people feel uncomfortable and keep them unsettled, even if it doesn't make sense. And that's fine. It's just not my cup of tea. So I've never been an American horror story fan. Um, but with that being said, uh, Billy Porter was also another show that's actually doing gangbusters right now on FX called Pose. And he's like, that's like his big, like his big arrival is that series. So he's, he's doing gangbusters there. So he's getting like cast and everything else now. And also you should look it up. There was uh, like some event he was at in the past couple months before, you know, viruses happened where he wore a hat that had these tassels on it. So he wore a hat that had these tassels all around it. And there wasn't like a little motor that he could operate that the tassels could open up. So he could look at people or they could just close and he could hide his face. That is the greatest like moment of like, you're not important to me. Tassels closed. That's like, like curtains. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, amazing. like beaded curtains. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty funny. So, but yeah, I, I, you're right. He didn't have much. He didn't have a very long time in this episode, but I dug him when he was here. Yeah. So, and then, um, our next character, we have Jay Hendel. Um, 
she or the, he plays John. Um, another bit role in this, honestly, but um, I didn't really know him from anything. To be honest, um, six episodes of Project MC2 and uh, one episode of The X-Files that was like the revival that came back around. I didn't I didn't recognize him from anything else. Yeah. The only things I had for him is so to go back to uh, Carmel uh, Amit, who plays Marina, she was in a show called Somewhere in Between that didn't it only went one season. He was in an episode of that show as well. So I don't know if it was just because of location and casting but he was in a show with her um all i have for him is that he was in a show called a sorry show a movie called a christmas duet which i think we talked about previously my goal now in this up ep- the season of the twilight zone is to find as many shitty made for tv christmas movie connections as possible how dare you <laughs> it's it's bad enough that we have to be sub- uh subjected to these crap films every like christmas season uh like hallmark it has like some kind of weird contract, like, um, what is it? Like, uh, 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 asylum where they have to pump out <laughs> as many garbage films as possible. Oh, that makes me wish that Hallmark now would do just like blockbuster, like mockbuster versions of like major release films, but just make them Christmas films, you know, like that would be <laughs> like, you know, like the big Marvel films, but it'd be like, uh, you know, instead of infinity war, it's like Christmas war or whatever. I think that's what I want. I need that now. Yeah. I'm glad that you were excited about that. I would not want I, that at I, all. I wouldn't like, watch it at all, but I just, that's what I, that, I just want to see that being a thing. So I can just be like delighted that someone took time and money to make this, you know, like, like Thanos Christmas slay or whatever, you know, that'd be great. That'd be really great. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. C- continuing on, please. So, uh, Vina sued. Mm-hmm. It's that. I think that's right. Um, I think that's right. Uh, yeah. Plays Jill. Um, I knew her from time cop, mm-hmm. small bit role in time cop. Um, the outer limits in the 95, uh, the run, uh, Final Destination 2, and in the series that we were talking about, uh, Ghost Wars, C played in four episodes as, uh, of that as well. Okay. Yeah, all I had for her was like a lot of work because she has done, she's made she's made her money like being a character actor and great, good for her. Um, but I just wrote in all caps, was in Time Cop. Again, another Jean-Claude Van Damme connection. So that's important. Woot. Yeah. Van Damme. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, David Lewis is next. Um, a very, very bit role here. Uh, casting director John. Um, but he has some pretty big creds here. Um, uh, Halloween Resurrection. Not a good film, but, you know, with, <laughs> worth noting. Um, the Day the Earth Stood Still remake. Not good as well. Um, Man of Steel. Okay film. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's my hot take that was an okay f- film so fair enough um i actually didn't list them because like i started i went through all the cast but it's like if nothing really stood out to me I, I i did not list him so yeah man of steel was okay not great yeah it, it, i had to give him a little bit more credit because he was kind of in the beginning of this episode and then the end of the episode and i was like all right i'll give him his uh due diligence here because he's a a working actor for a while, actually. And um, he actually had some pretty big cred here. So, all right. Yeah. And that's all I had. Fair enough. Who, who do you have next? Uh, that's actually it. That's, oh, that's okay. Uh, so I have, um, I have two more. <laughs> uh, 
Samantha Rose as Sasha. I'm not sure who that is in the episode, so I apologize. Only has three credits. This is one of them. But was also in a holiday film called Christmas Bells Are Ringing. So there you go. Another Christmas connection. Uh, Terry's first favorite holiday, uh, you know, behind Halloween. Uh, Anyway, so I want to mention that. Uh, Frank Turner as Mr. Martinez. He's the gentleman, the elderly gentleman that is um, going into the apartment building. And he's like, oh, every bone hurts in my body or whatever. That gentleman. Um, here's here's the here's the million dollar question, Terry. Have you seen the film Hot Rod with Andy Samberg? I have not. Oh, darn it. There is a bit at the end of the film where he uh, it. So the premise of Hot Rod is that Andy Samberg's character wants to be a stuntman because supposedly he believes his father was a stuntman that died when he was young and he never got to know his dad. And he's not a good stuntman. And so uh, his his mother, who's Sissy Spacek, marries um, another man who is um, Ian McShay. Uh, and Ian McShay doesn't view Andy Sandberg as a man unless he can beat him in a fist fight. Uh, so Sandberg's always trying to beat him in a fist fight, but then uh, Ian McShay's character, Frank, needs a heart transplant. And so Andy Sandberg's like, I need to get Frank a heart so he can be strong enough for me to beat him in a fist fight. So he tries to raise money being a stuntman to make this happen. Um, it's it's a fun movie. At the end of the movie, though, there's a brief montage of of Andy Samberg getting ready for the day, and he's at this like lake's edge, very much kind of like getting like getting his chi and like, getting motivated and doing like stances and everything. This fisherman shows up near him, and they cut back. It's like this music montage showing the events of the day. There's a bit where this elder uh, older fisherman's like rubbing oil on Andy Samberg while there's his music playing. That's Frank Turner. That was in this episode. It's amazing. <laughs> that, that's, that's it. Like, was that the bit role? That yes. Was he was the fisherman rubbing oil all over Andy Samberg's character uh, during a music montage while he's getting ready for his big jump that day uh, to save his, his stepfather. So he could beat him in a fist fight. <laughs> I, I know how much you dig this film. I love and I Hot Rod. I wish I, I could have seen. Hot Rod. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could have seen your face and how giddy you were when you found out that oh, he was gosh. in the Hot Rod, and that was the connection here. The fact that I get to talk about Andy <laughs> Sandberg being rubbed down by an older gentleman in oil—you have no idea how much that makes me happy to subjugate, uh, subjugate <laughs> everybody else to that. Fair enough. Um, yeah, the only thing I see in looking upon his uh, acting credits. Um, he was in the fly too. So I, I really enjoyed the, the second installment of that film. Yeah. He was uh, actually, remake. he was rubbing oil on Eric Stoltz. I don't want, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not getting worse. I'm getting better. Come over and rub oil all over me. You know, whatever. Yeah. So anyway, enough. I, that's it. That's it for cast. Right. Cause this is, there's a lot more people involved in this, but uh, yeah, it got, it got a little, it got a little much, uh, for reasons we're going to get into a minute. Um, is that, is that all the notes you got? I think it's all we got. The, yeah, that's that, all the notes. All right. Let's, uh, yep, that, that, that I cast. <laughs> yeah, let's just, let's go forward. Let Mr. Peel take it away. Meet Harry Pine. Up until now, he's failed to realize that he's not the center of the world, but as you can see, he's also not entirely himself at the moment. Harry's mind is an uninvited guest in an unfamiliar body. He's about to go on a journey of self-discovery, the kind that's only possible here in the Twilight Zone. All right, 
right. So Terry, uh, take us away. Like, give us the jumping end point for this episode. Um, because it, it's going to be a, a weird one to talk about when we get to the bulk of it, but give us, give us the foundation. Okay. So, uh, Harry Pine is a, he's an actor and he's at a line reading and, uh, He's he's in the light. He doesn't see anybody. It's kind of a, a very um, a cold situation for him. Uh, you can tell he's nervous, but once he realizes that the casting uh, uh, the casting director is somebody he knows, he he tries to connect. But the dude doesn't recognize him at all. He's like, I I don't know who you are. He's like, Oh yeah, you remember you ca- cast me in Macbeth or whatever last year. He's like, Yeah, I don't know, and. <laughs> He's trying to rush it, and you know that makes Harry even more uncomfortable. It's like a a hurting kind of situation. He doesn't he doesn't want to just give them what they want. He wants to try to feel out the situation, and he even says that he was trying to do the line rating for Steve, and he feel more comfortable with that. And John like abruptly shuts him down. He's like, "You were brought in to do this role." And like, don't waste our time. Just, you know, give us what we want. So you can see the frustration in Harry and he he throws his script. And the next scene is he's trying to like, like console himself with um, a beer. And then all of a sudden his girlfriend comes up and she starts giving him the third degree about, you know, things are not right. You got to try harder. Well, but so, so two things. Um, one, I want to point out um, that when we first see Harry with the light on his face, his eyes dilate, which I think is important to the episode. Uh, and then two, he's trying to, uh, he, he wants to read for the bigger role because he feels that is the role that he should have and not this bit role. And then he gets shut down. So he gets pissed. He, and he gets agitated and fiddles with his beard, which is important later. But then when we get to him in his apartment, he's drinking this beer, but looking at news clippings of his girlfriend and her career taking off when she confronts him about the audition. Yeah, I, I, I really, I wish I would have focused in on the, the beer thing a little bit more when I was uh, describing the scene, because it, it is kind of like, um, something that he always, it's his nervous tick. Yeah. Yeah. It is a nervous thing. I do it too, honestly. I, I mean, me having a beard, I'm constantly doing it. And, and when I don't have a beard, I find myself still doing it, <laughs> which we'll touch on later. Yeah. But yeah, like you can tell that he's trying to make up for a period of time that may have been lost. And now his girlfriend is getting the accolades that he feels like maybe he deserves. We haven't found that out completely. But through discussion um, with his girlfriend, uh, you can tell there there is a lot of frustrations that she has with his work ethic. And I guess case in forward, like where he has not really made ends meet for his, uh, you know, his work, like the power goes out, like the lights go out and she's like. Oh, you know, I'll just call the landlord. Maybe there's just like some weird thing that's happening here. And he tapes a sip, takes a sip of his beer and he's like, I didn't pay the bill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that whole bit where it's like she is just left wondering. And he's like, yeah, I didn't think they just shut it off. You know, it's like just 
you get the notion though that he is carrying this like this chip on his shoulder that uh, he was successful at one point um and they even say it later whenever they review his profile in the police uh department where it's like yeah he was on a tv show for a minute hasn't done anything recently you get the idea that him as a as an, a character had some like mild success and he hasn't been able to get close to that again so now he holds he holds his girlfriend like in contempt because she's being successful and he's now viewing the um the inability to bring money in as like a power play and he's holding it against her and and projecting and she even calls it out she's like don't do this gaslighting bullshit on me you know like um yeah harry's blaming the world for why harry isn't performing and you know and he has like uh this chip on his shoulder too he was going in for a reading for one character but he doesn't even want to be part of the show because he thinks the show sucks. He thinks it's shit. And it's like, it's like Moran is like, well, you know, it's a, everybody likes the show. And he's like, I don't, <laughs> it's like, okay, so you're, it must've been young Sheldon. Now. That's my guess was the show was young Sheldon. I'm, I'm joking, please <laughs> go ahead. I, I was making a CBS joke, but continue. But you know, it, he, he goes on, he's like, it was, it was like beneath him. Uh, he doesn't feel like it was worth his time, but there is like greater things on the horizon. He's trying to basically console um, Marina with, with this logic that, you know, if I keep at it, something's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. And she is, her rebuttal is like, we need to make things happen now. You have a plan, but I want to be part of the plan. That's what relationships are about. Yeah. And, and, that, and yeah. that's, that's a fair logic too. No. And basically she's like, you expect everything. You expect everything to be brought to you because you think you're owed it. And yeah. And he is like, this is about money. She's like, it's, it, and she's like, basically this isn't about money, you know? So, um, so he gets pissed. And is like, I'll take care of this. I want to point out that as he walks into their bedroom, there's, all these different playbills and posters all over the place. There's one poster as he walks by, it says walk a mile in his shoes. I, I love, sometimes I think things are on the nose. I love like little background details like that. I think you don't focus, you won't see it, but it's right there in front of your face. I thought that was great. Yeah, that was a, that was a good little uh, nod to like what is going to transpire in the rest of this episode. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he grabs something. We, we don't really quite know what it is yet. And he says to Marina, like, Hey, I'm going to go get, uh, some things figured out. I'm going to go collect a couple of checks here that are due to me. And so we see, we see Harry walk out into the busy streets and it, for me, this seems like against the, it's against the current, like it, it, it very much depicts how Harry is perceiving his situation and it kind of makes it that much more aware to him that things are coming against him. He's going against the the current right now because people are bumping into him. It's a hustle and bustle. He just, I think that's that compounds the problem that Harry's experiencing right now. So when he gets to his destination, which is a bank, there is only one decision to make now. And he walks in. I like that he psychs himself up first. He's like, I went to Juilliard. I can do this. 
before he walks into the bank. Like he gets so steadfast in his ability to perform that he convinces himself that he can do this. Yeah. And, you know, and I guess that's not too far fetched. I mean, people are allowed to act like animals whenever they want. Right. And then put a mask on when they need to be human beings. Again, we're experiencing this today. Um, Oh, but, you know, oh, he, oh, oh, walks, oh, Terry's hot take and social commentary. Oh no. Yeah. It, Wear a mask. Damn it. <laughs> so, except to um, rob a bank. So, don't do that. Don't rob. Yeah. Don't rob a bank. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we, we get Harry and he's kind of like still preparing himself for whatever the next mo- move is, which I, inevitably we know what it is. Um, but he looks over, he sees a guard who is toying around with a banana. <laughs> <laughs> that pays off actually pretty well later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like working his best gun moves uh, like Clint Eastwood would. Um, so, you know, and he just, he bites a bullet. And he moves forward to the teller and he pulls out this gun and pulls his scarf over his face really quickly. Mind you, right after the guard sees his face. So, you know, never mind that, apparently. Um, So he he tells her, put all the money in the bag um, and we'll get this. We'll get this on way. She, of course, presses the silent alarm. And then as everything is transpiring between him and the teller. The guard walks up and says, hey, is everything okay?" Harry just loses his cool completely and turns on him with the gun as well and tells everybody to get down. Everybody's got to get down now. And when he turns back to Jill, the teller, he says, give me the bag, give me the bag. But he looks directly into her eyes. And there's this weird thing that happens where their eyes dilate and something transpires, but we don't know until we hear like internal monologue and Jill is now Harry. Harry is actually in Jill's body Mm -hmm. and takes the money. But likewise, Jill is in Harry's body and gets tackled to the ground. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was, uh, yeah, I want to point out that there's multiple people this episode that are completely innocent. They get tackled by the police. Like every single time there's the option for an innocent person to get tackled, they're going to get tackled. Um, but yeah, there, there's the switch. It's very much like a requiem for a dream where like the eyes dilate, you know, like whatever. Um, and so we realized that Harry now like unbeknownst to him has the ability to take his consciousness and occupy another body. But the trade-off is, is that, that person's consciousness occupies his body, right? And that's that's the premise of this episode. And that's the, um, again, uh, we talked about before we, before we started recording because it gets a little hinky because there's a lot of body switching that happens. But that's the crux of the middle of this episode is that it, that Harry can do this. But with the the bank teller realizing that they're now holding the money as Harry, they they beat feet and get out of there. Um, the body that is Harry gets tackled by the police. And, and then that's when we get Jordan Peele to show up in the episode. And it's one of my, one of my favorite intros of his in the episode. Um, I love him just sitting at the desk off to the, the right-hand side uh, as if he was talking to like clients. And he's like, oh, I'm going to give you guys the intro. I went on the second watch. I wanted to see if he was sitting at that desk when, um, when Harry walked in. It's all shot in a soft focus. So you can't tell absolutely. It would have been great to know that he was there the entire time. 
Yeah, I, I really dug it. I was kind of hoping that he would have been uh, one of the cops or something. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm, look, looking, I'm looking for something, like, even more comical sometimes, but I'm glad it's still, like, a Rod Serling kind of, like, approach to it, um, where, you know, it's him in the really nice three-piece suit, and he's still having fun with the, the like, the scene. But um, so, yeah, we get that. But uh, the one point that I forgot to mention is that when um, Harry's body is tackled, it's a, a toy gun that drops yeah. out of his hand. Yeah, it falls and breaks apart. You can see it's a cap gun. Yeah. I also want to point out, and this is going to be a recurring theme for this episode. And so I, I guess we can hammer it uh, as we go along. But the moment that Harry is uncomfortable as a person, regardless of it's himself or him occupying somebody else, he absolutely forgets the ability to act. So he considers himself this great actor. He went to Juilliard, but he never carries himself well what anybody's paying attention to him, which I think is like the, the, the funniest part of this whole thing is that he claims to be this great actor and that people are wrong about him, but he never convinces anybody of anything this entire episode. Yeah, I, and you see that throughout the entire episode like when he's trying to talk to people and it's like and we'll touch on this later but when he finally does it's actually the most comical one of them all so <laughs> yes so um so not to short circuit the episode but he runs out as uh, as the lady that's the bank teller uh, she he she gets stopped by another employee saying are you okay and it's like yeah I just need I just need to go lie down it's like you can't take that money and so there becomes a fight and that's when we get officer Luntz to come in which is Mel Rodriguez and he's trying to figure out what's going on and then that's when Harry uh, jumps to him uh, this is very much uh, 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 Jason goes to hell territory by the way Terry I know you'd appreciate that uh, where it's like who could be Jason it could be anybody just eat the heart. Uh, but we get Harry bouncing into this cop at this point. That's when we get uh, introduced to detective Reese when he comes into the like the front of the bank. And th- we have that great moment where he's talking to the bank guard and he's like, Oh, he's like, did you pull the, the banana on him or knock him out with the banana? That was a funny line. Uh, but Reese is trying to figure out what's going on. Um, I did not expect this episode to turn into the episode of the X-Files. I feel like this is a very X-Files episode with the procedural side and the supernatural side. I dug it, but this is what this felt like from here on out. Yeah. And I, I, I like that they did like the two sides of it. Like he's still being pursued by Reese and we got to get that half of the story and like the pursuit. And we have what's going on with Harry and the, the ongoing saga of him jumping body to body. But like, it, it's it's a good balance though i it didn't feel like um i didn't feel like i was like getting way too confused if we're explaining this to the the listener it might be confusing but it is watch con- the episode it's very straightforward you're right so what we find out is that detective reese when they when they um take in harry the person at first the person that's talking to detective reese is the bank teller but whenever it's whenever harry jumps to the comp once Luntz, who knows Detective Reese, is talking to him directly like he knows who he is because Luntz, who is occupying the body, knows Detective Reese. So there's like these moments and it becomes this interesting uh, um, back and forth where Reese doesn't want to believe everything, 
but he keeps being brought more and more evidence that something's going on. And with the whole thing of um, with, uh, Luntz talking to Reese while he's in custody, um, he starts to believe that like um, that he's, he, he doesn't say it out loud, but he becomes to the, he comes to the realization that the body of Harry is a vessel for something. And he starts to come to that realization as things go forward. Um, and I just want to say here, and we'll, we'll probably say this at the very end, Ethan Embry is given a Herculean task of playing multiple personalities as expressed through his body. And he captures this like element of every actor that is now playing him when his presence jumps to their body, but now he has to act like them. That sounds kind of confusing, but Ethan Embry, it just, it blows my mind how great he is as an actor performing as a guy, as other people, but the main character of Harry is a shitty actor. There's a lot of levels here and I dug it. Yeah. I, I actually wish I could have seen what kind of um, like room Ethan Embry was putting himself in to figure out how to be every one of these yeah. characters. Like, I, I think that is that that's one of those elements about actors that has really um, interested me and for, for the longest time and like the psyche that they have to change themselves every time they do a role. And he had to do it. What? Four times in this episode alone. Yeah. Like that's fun. Yeah. No. So it like, like again, the story isn't confusing if you watch it, but it, it's Harry trying to get this money back for what, you know, cause he feels like it's going to save his relationship with Marina. It's going to put the lights back on. So like the police officer has the money. A police officer calls Marina and she doesn't hear, doesn't recognize his voice. Um, but Harry starts to realize that he has this ability. Uh, but then like the cops are cued in that this one cop is turned off as like his walkie talkie and that he's probably the guy with the money. And it becomes like this, um, this, this foot chase uh, of where he's always trying to stay one step ahead of law enforcement because they know something's not right, but they can't put their finger on what it is. And this I guess I guess, can we can we just mention like how inherently like there's a lot of dark comedy in this episode that made me crack up while watching it because of the situations. Mel Rodriguez looking at himself in the mirror as the officer as Harry trying to get his voice right, but realizing that he's speaking with an accent that that's not his own. Um, but then giving into like the cop persona is a funny bit. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of good comedy in this episode that I was not expecting. Yeah, and um, I I agree with you on that. Uh, the one little uh, uh, story bit that we didn't touch on, um, Reese has something going on too. Um, yeah. There, he keeps on getting calls and he keeps on getting texts and stuff like that. Like you can tell he's getting bombarded from somebody, his, yeah. whoever the other person is, like wife, girlfriend, whatever. We don't know quite yet who that person is but they're not leaving him alone while he's doing his job. So that comes more apparent throughout the episode. And I just, uh, I feel like we would be uh, doing a due diligence or a well, we'd disservice. Be, we'd, we'd be remiss. So like when Luntz is talking to Reese while Luntz is occupying the body of Harry, he's trying to convince Reese in the interrogation room that, that he is Luntz. He's like, listen, I wouldn't say this. Otherwise I know you have a secret. 
and that that's when Reese starts to snap together and realize there's something going on here, you know? So, but we don't know that secret until the end. Um, but, um, yeah, it becomes like this big, like, um, you know, rabbit and mouse thing back and forth, back and forth, where eventually, uh, Harry occupies like this really athletic guy, um, that ends up running off and, um, you know, he occupies his body and <laughs> there's a bit where, uh, he sees the cops coming and he ducks into uh, a psychic's shop and that's where we get Keith. And Keith is like, you don't know who you are. And you you think that he's reading the room, but you realize that he is a cold reader and that's his always his open and convinces uh, Harry, who is now occupying the body of John, to sit down and talk to him. And I, there's, the, there's a brief bit there of like, do I have like uh, psychic um, client privilege? And Keith's like, no, you don't. And then slides the little tray over for money. That's a funny bit. That's a really funny bit. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's. I like it. You don't have you don't have that yet, and then slides it like the tray over. It's like you gotta give you gotta give uh, the you know the ferryman his uh, his payment here. You yeah. know. Well, there's even like a bit in Breaking Bad whenever uh, when we first see Saul Goodman, where he's like talking to Walter White, and he's like, "I'm not your lawyer. Give me some money so we have a like attorney client privilege, please." And so he physically takes money. He's like, okay, fine. We could talk now. That's the vibe I got from Keith where it's like, you know what? You're not my client yet. And that was, that was a fun moment. But then, uh, Harry explains to him like, yeah, I robbed a bank. I did all this stuff. And Keith is just kind of like, he's skeptical, which is funny because he's a psychic. Um, and he's, uh, listening to him and the entire time Harry in this body of John, is like not making eye contact because he now realizes he has this ability that if he makes direct eye contact, he can switch bodies. Uh, but Keith raises the important question, which um, I don't know your thoughts on this, but I feel like this episode's smart enough to ask the question of what happens to your body while this is going on. I feel like that this has been like an earlier episode of the twilight zone in like, you know, the sixties, they never would have questioned the host. They would have shown the main character. And that's where I think this gets smart, where suddenly it occurs to Harry of like, I don't know where they go. Oh shit. You know, like, I think that's a really fun moment. And it, it shows clearly how vapid, um, Harry is and how much self or how little, yeah. he, how yeah. little he cares about what the expense is to get shit done. Yeah. Like I, like you kind of feel for Harry for a moment there, but through all of these different um, like envelope pushing situations, you're like, dude, just knock it off and just, like throw yourself at the mercy of the court. Like he is like, I, you know, I like I, I, I want to feel for Harry, but every time that he's trying to validate his reasoning, you just lose a little bit more of what he's trying to achieve. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's a good call. And for, again, for someone that uh, convinces himself that he has the ability to project, you know, whatever he needs to do to get the job done, he fails at every step of the way. And he is so like to the point to where anybody ever asks his name, whenever there's a body he occupies, he can't come up with it because he doesn't bother to look at their wallet or a name tag or anything. And it's like, that just shows you how self-centered uh, he is that he doesn't even bother to learn the names of the people he's occupying. I think that's, I think it's a big tell, 
But so Keith um, is like trying to talk to him and there's a bit where he forces the jump. And that's a really, really, really fun moment because we have Harry's body at, at, at the police station talking to detective Reese. And suddenly um, it shifts to Keith being in Harry's body. And again, credit to, um, you know, Ethan Embry, the way he like exudes, um, you know, uh, Billy Porter's um, personality is fun. It's a fun moment, but um, he just, um, he just tries to um, like Billy Porter's character is Keith is trying to understand what's going on and he sees everything and it's like, Oh yeah, you're a detective. Shouldn't there be a reward? Cause I know there's a bank robber. <laughs> like I think he plays an angle. I was not expecting that. But when the switch comes back, he's like, yeah, there's a detective that's chasing you. I thought that was a lot of fun. That was a really fun sequence. Yeah. It's, it, it's fun in the fact that like he owns every character. Yes. So well, like Efer, like, like you said, like, he was the the all star of this episode. Ethan Embry kicked ass because he took ownership of every role. Yeah, like I felt he embodied Keith very well as in this in this scenario as well. Like he was hitting on the detective. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was it was it was actually really fun to see him play all of these different characters in such a short span of time. Um. I, I I just like I was waiting for something else to like up the ante and we're going to get that. So 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 you know, at this point, Keith is talking and then all of a sudden there's a shift again in Ethan Embry. Um, I'm sorry, Harry's character, um, not to confuse anybody else anymore. No, but but um, yeah, becomes, John Harry occupies has, Harry's body again because the switch happened and John was the guy who was out in the street. That was the super athletic dude that doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. And he's like freaking out. Like I was in my own body. What the hell? So, you know, <laughs> yeah. There, yeah. there's like this weird replacement that happens for a moment, but then it shifts again. Like that was interesting in itself. And I, I hope that if anybody is watching this episode, they are paying attention clearly to these kind of sequences because this might lose somebody in like the um, like the moment of like what the hell is happening and like storyline. Yeah, it, this is hilarious. I think that it's hilarious to see John back in Harry's body and not knowing what the hell is going on. But then we shift back to um, Keith and his shop, his psychic shop, and he explains to um, Harry to Harry. Yeah. Harry, quote unquote, um, what just happened, what was going on. And he's like, you are an asshole. He's like, you think that you could just use people as husks and just, you know, do whatever you want with them and then throw them away. Like he gives him the third degree. Like he is the most human person in this entire episode because he calls him out and he calls him the asshole that he is. He has no reason to That's feel fair. anything more than Keith, disdain for him. Keith also says, I, I'm a fake, but at least I make people feel better. You're terrible. But the entire time, it's like, there's never a mention of the money off to the side. So you like Keith has his own actions too, but he, he, he calls out Harry and then Harry laughs by, he's like, why are you laughing? Like, this is serious. Like it, it crystallizes Keith's position of like, this is real. You're terrible. 
And I wasn't expecting that to happen either. That was a, that's a great moment. We should also mention though, while Harry and the body of John looks up to the skylight in this, uh, this psychic shop in New York, which I don't know why, um, there would be, I don't know New York, but I, I think the idea of like single floor uh, buildings with skylights, I don't know if that happens or not. That feels like everything stacked on top of each other, but he looks up and sees in the apartment off to the side, there's a window with a blue teddy bear. And I was really hoping for a moment of like, he's going to make eye contact with that teddy bear and things are going to get really weird. That never happened. Probably for the best, but it's noted because it's something that he sees. It pays off later. Uh, but Keith shoves him out of the shop and is like, you need to get out of here now. And then locks up the shop. So Harry and the body of John freaks out because he realizes that he left the money in there and he gets mad. And there's a funny bit where they, we go to the commercial break and come back and he's talking to two cops. He's like, yeah, um, that guy has my money. It's like, you said you left it in there. He's like, yeah, but you know, but it's theft. It's like, but you said you left the bag in there. I thought that was really funny how the cops are kind of giving him the deadpan response of like, you left a bag in there. What's in there? He's like, uh, papers, business papers. It's personal stuff. That's very similar to the big Lebowski when uh, Jeff Bridges is trying to uh, explain um, what was so important in his car. Like, you know, just documents, business documents. I thought that was a funny callback. I felt like that was a direct uh, relation to the big Lebowski. And, and it just, again, like reverts back to how ill repaired, uh, prepared uh, Harry is for this situation. Yeah. Like, you know, like you, you touched on this, like he's not a good actor. He's not. Yeah. It, you know, this is one of those situations he could have had a line. And, you know, it's clearly dark outside, too, at this moment. So he could have had a good storyline that he could have figured out. But he's ill repaired, a prepared rhythm. He went, he went to Juilliard. You know, he's ready for this. But but when the cops are like, well, what's your name? He's like, ah, uh, like, you, you couldn't have even looked in your pants the entire time for a wallet to figure out your name at all. Like, yeah, like he's so focused on what he wants and that he like. It, it doesn't come into his, his orbit until someone asks the question. Um, and we should, I guess we should mention now that um, like, and this didn't happen with this, this actor, but with the bank teller, they talked at the side of their face being him. Like there ever so often you see the character trait of tugging at the sides of their face. Like he's like fiddling with his beard. Um, I don't think it call. I don't think that happened with him talking to the comps. It wouldn't surprise me if it did. Cause it felt like a subconscious like tick. But him as John, when he was like, ah, I don't know my name. That's not important. That guy took my money. And I like that the cops were immediately like, you need to stand right here. We're going to go confer. I thought that was really funny. Yeah, it, it's definitely a stressful tick that he does. And um, this entire time throughout this episode, I felt like I was uh, I was completely reminded of the movie. Um, oh, shit. Uh, shocker yes so he keeps on jumping bodies and then like the obvious tell for the character is his uh his dragging foot mm-hmm. so like when you see him do that nervous tick you know clearly that that's harry there's not there's really no moment to let that breathe and like kind of find who harry is uh, like oh where's waldo um but like that is the tell, and it, like again, I was thinking about Shocker the entire time because not only the the jumping of body to body, 
but that clear sign of who is actually um, uh, Pinker at this point. Which was Mitch Pelegi, who was in the X-Files. So that comes full circle. So I will give you that. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So then he gets questioned and he gets pressured. So then this is where things start pinballing around where he uh, realized that, like, you know, shit's going sideways. So he calls out to this young, like, uh, goth punker guy, switches buys there, switches buys with a lady that's across the street. And then she sees, again, near there's a there's an apartment building beside the psychic shop and he sees um an older fisherman that's going to rub oil all over andy sandberg's body sees him going into an apartment building he's like hey old man so he jumps into that body as mr martinez and then at that point uh mr martinez uh, encounters um a mother and son like a really young son and the mother's like oh mr martinez are you okay and he's like uh could you remind me what apartment i'm in which to be fair that's the one time, you know, that I think he's leaning into who he is. So I think that's okay. I think that's kind of a funny moment of like, yeah, I'm an old man. Everything hurts. What apartment am I in? And she's like, oh, you should talk to your doctor. He's like, I'm fine. But where do I live? Like, I thought that was great. But he goes to try to occupy her body. And that's when we learn one of the rules of his body jumping is that she's wearing glasses. And because she has glasses, like a physical barrier between her eyes and his he can't take her over, which I thought was a nice little touch to show the rules of his abilities. But he looks down and sees that the boy's clutching a blue, a blue bear and realizes that's the same bear he saw before. And that's like his motive now. Like either way, I got to get into that apartment. So I'll take the next man up, which is a little boy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which credit to that kid. He does a hell of a job of being like, like this really loud and frustrated kid to like being quiet and be like, no mother, I'm okay. And like, suddenly he occupies the boy and then the mother takes him like upstairs and she's like, Oh, it's time to go to bed. And he's like, Oh, I'm okay. And she's like, well, what book do you want to read? He's like, I don't care. Whatever. <laughs> and like she goes to read him a book and he like, like two sentences and he's like, Oh, I'm so tired. I need to go to sleep so I can dream about you. And she's like, Oh, that was a funny moment. That was a really funny moment. And the kid, like kid actors right now have been amazing. I don't know what the process is to get um, great grounded performances from kids in like the last like 10 years, but this kid nails it. He's so good in this episode. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I thought the same thing, but I think that what was happening in the past is they were trying to give so much more out of like a situation that they couldn't get much that was like, worth filming (laughs) like this kid this kid wasn't given a whole lot and he was very subdued in certain spots i i i get like that he was good for this role but if we would have given him like a full length movie i don't know that we would have gotten it good that's fair but it's just the the bit when he gets confronted Uh, by detective reese where he's like like it's going a little further forward ahead where this kid gets out of the apartment and goes into the skylight which we don't see that but he ends up in the psychic shop he's looking around for the money and reese shines a flashlight in his face which is a good way to also keep him from looking people in the eyes I like that the kid's like, I need the money. I don't want to go to jail. It's like, he's so serious saying it that it's really, really funny, but he just sells it. And I love that moment of like, I can't go to jail. It's like, you're seven. Like, what? What? Like, what? Like, how many strikes do you have, kid? 
I almost would have, I would have leaned into it a little bit more if I was Harry at this point and been like, uh, no, uh, I'm down here looking for my toy or something like that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, we, we should also mention here briefly, whenever he switches bodies into the kid, uh, miles is the kid's name. Um, there's, there's a wonderful moment of miles going into the body of Harry while Harry's in the police car with detective Reese. And, um, and then all of a sudden miles being this young child and this body of a grown up in a cop car with handcuffs freaks out and he's like screaming at uh the, the detective and he's like why are you doing this why am i in bracelets and, and reese is like whoa 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 whoa! what's your name and he's trying to figure things out and he gets a phone call from somebody he's like this isn't the greatest time right now but ethan embry like th- like this this part of this is like my favorite part of his performance because he gets that scared child bit but then whenever detective reese is like hey miles do you like ice cream? And he's still kind of crying, but he nods. He's like, I do too. That's like my favorite part of the episode. It's so great. It's awesome because we've seen the full circle of what, um, Harry's embodiment, like the, the, the true body of what Ethan Ambry was able to do for this episode. So we've seen somebody who literally looks like they're going to go postal to somebody who is like, about to get into a fetal position and cry themselves to sleep. <laughs> yeah. So then we have the big confrontation in the psychic shop where the detective with the body of Harry, which is miles confronts the small child. And I, and so like, and the detectives, like he knows what's up now. He, he understands. He's like, you need to get back into your body. I don't know how you're doing this, but you need to do this. It's the right thing. At, at worst, you'll have five years for an attempted robbery. And, um, and, and Harry's like, yeah, I should do this. I should give this kid back his body. And he walks over to his, his body as a child. And he's like, look me in the eyes, whatever. And then he turns and he's like, but I don't like my body and jumps into the detective, which I saw that coming from far away because Harry's a piece of shit and will take every way out. But what I'll say after this is because now you have the detective and Harry's body and Harry, the Texas body, but Miles being a kid, my favorite line of the episode is, I don't know who the bad guy is. That's my favorite line of this episode. I, I mean, like, how do you, or he says, how do you, like, he says, who's the bad guy? Well, this is all going on. Yeah. Sorry. Please go ahead. And like when you're uh, miles now at this point, it's like, so with this whole weird exchange, how do you figure out what, is up and what is down, you know, you see Reese who's supposed to be the good guy who got you ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then the body that you were just in of this ugly dude who you probably thought was like (laughs) scary looking. And you're like, it's, it's confusing. I mean, especially like being back in your own body, like shit, where's my mom at? Like all I want to do is get the hell away from these guys. Yeah, it just it was, it was funny, but it was also really tense. But then, so you have this big showdown where uh, Reese as Harry is like, "You need to, you this does need to happen." And then Harry as Reese is like, "You grow sort of the five years for me." And then the the actual cops show up, and then there's a shootout, and the body of Harry dies. Like you get the notion 
that he's gone. So then the next, the next scene we get to is a knock at the door for Maria's apartment. And we have detective Reese, who is now occupied by Harry saying, Hey, can I come in? And she's like, sure. And he's like, uh, I'm a, I'm, I'm a detective says convincingly. And she's like, yeah, I know that. And then we learn in the twist that Moraine has been seeing Reese this cheating on Harry with him. And now Harry is aware that Reese was the one that was cheating. That was being the, you know, the person cheating with his girlfriend. And she's like, Oh, Harry's missing. Let's just forget about him. And and, and then Harry is Reese is like, yeah, let's forget about him. And then we get to the end where there's another audition. We have, we have uh, the body of Reese is occupied by Harry. He's wearing glasses, which I didn't think about until the second time through because he now realizes that glasses are the, like the, the uh, barrier for entry. So if he wears them, um, he's not going to jump because he's probably also realizing that like his physical body's dead. What will happen if he moves again? That's a consideration, but now he's like this big buff, good looking dude. And he's like, Oh yeah, I do so good now. And, uh, I just occupy all these characters and that's the end of your episode. Um, my question to you is though, like how, like that, that seems like a happy ending, but then a, you get the idea that he uh, stepped away from being an officer, a police officer to become an actor but what was that transition like? And then also too, if you switched bodies with somebody like 30, 40 years on, I think that would be hell in its own way because you would also then assume that like, um, their palate is different than yours. Their conditioning is different than yours. Their biochemistry is different than yours. So I feel like that'd be a minefield just waiting to happen of things you don't know. That's the thought I have this entire time. Yeah, it, I mean, that, it's an interesting concept to wrap your head around, but I think that what was most important to Harry at that moment was to make his situation right, to make his life whole again. You know, Morena was not happy with him, and he was doing uh, shit roles, and he wasn't even landing the shit roles that he was going for. Yeah, Now he's this good-looking dude, who's got his shit together. Morena is obviously infatuated with him. He's like, you know what? I'm going to ride this out. Like it's exactly what he wanted, but you know, like those idiosyncrasies of that, that body or whoever Reese was, he's able to cope with that now at this point, because he got what he was striving for in the beginning. But I feel like he's going to be stuck in like this kind of hell because he can never get the validation that he was right. Because I feel like he's a person, and right side of the right word, that he believes he's right. That's what I want to say. That he wants to shove it in people's face that he knew he could do this. I feel like his satisfaction is based solely upon letting people know that he knows that they didn't believe in him. And being in this 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 body and having this ability... Yeah, it's going to be great, and that will be something. But it's like he can never gloat and never throw it back in the face of Morena. It's like, you know what? You didn't believe in me. Screw you. I'm now, I'm dead, but I'm now your new boyfriend. Deal with it. Like, I feel like that is, there's a kind of a hell there of like him being so smug that he can never let anybody know to truly get the satisfaction that he wants out of this. 
it's a weird purgitude kind of idea because not only does he have the lifestyle that he was striving for, but he's always going to be acting now. He's always going to be Reese. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, he always fashioned himself to be a good actor and striving for that big role. But now you are in that role for the rest of your life too. Yeah, no, you're right. So he's always going to be performing and always has to be hyper aware of when he's wearing glasses or not. Cause that could end in a blink of an eye, no pun intended, right? So that's the things I think about because, like, like you know, I've occupied my body for forty-one years. I know, I know what's good for me and what's not. As I drink beer, that's not good for me, but I know, I know. But you, we all know, like we know ourselves. It would be, I don't know, like how, like what if, what if he doesn't realize that he's allergic to peanuts or bee stings? Like you, like I know that sounds small, but what if he doesn't know that? that could destroy his life because he doesn't know himself. And that's the things I think about now. And that's like one of the like, uh, interesting facets of like what the twilight zone will give you. And then like step away, be like, here is a snapshot of a story that exists in the twilight zone. And then we step away. Like I love that about the twilight zone series. Like we get, a moment and then we walk away from it and we don't need anything more than that. We just get a glimpse at like the chaos that is su- yeah. ensues for this person for this moment. And then we go to the next person, but we're still in the twilight zone. Like that's, that's it, it, I, I, yeah. it's a fascinating universe. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I guess we'll get the twist rating, which I don't know we'll, we'll get there when we get there, but I really like this episode. I was, I didn't, once we got to the premise of the body switch, when I say this felt like an X-Files episode, that's not a negative. It just, you had the procedural side, you had the supernatural side. It, that, that felt fine. And that, like, like I've mentioned previously in the first season of this new revival, there's an episode um, called The Blue Scorpion that feels like an, eps- an X-Files episode because it's written by somebody that wrote for the X-Files. So I'm okay with this. I like I like that they they weighed both sides of policing and this guy just body jumping. That was a lot of fun. I re- like so far, um, so far this, this new season's been batting a thousand for me. I really enjoyed this episode. It was fun, funny and affecting. Yeah. We have not lost a beat here. Honestly, like this is one of the, like the better episodes to what I put as a standard I, I was expecting a little bit more from the last two. This one was really on par for what I was hoping for. I had a lot of fun with it. It was upbeat. There was a lot of chemistry in the characters and that. And Ethan Embry was phenomenal yes. in this. MVP, 100%. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, do you have any other notes you want to get into about the episode before we get to the twist? No, there was – well, there was – actually, I take that back. There was a moment – um, there was a callback here. So when Lutz slash Harry is walking past two teenage girls, there is a cardboard sign nearby saying time enough at last. I didn't pick up on that. Awesome. Nice. I didn't see that. I, 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 you're right. So that's a good callback. I, I should mention here. Thank you for reminding me that I didn't see that. That's on me. That's a great callback. Um, there are multiple iterations of the song under my skin that play in this episode. That's a wonderful, wonderful, fun music moment. And I think that's really on the nose, but it's fun. Um, the bus shelter that, um, 
when Harry's the cop, it says Franklin Street. I think that's a callback to the first episode of the first season, The Comedian. I need to verify that because the bus shelter and that there is an accident that happens in that episode. I think that's the same bus shelter. The architecture is very similar. I'll need to verify that. So, but thank you for bringing up callbacks. I did not pick up on the cardboard cardboard sign that said "time enough at last." That's a good call. That's a that's a really good pull. Yeah, there. This, you know, like I don't know if this peel at hand or other production crew. I am so happy that they are bringing back old, like fifty-five year old references. That is amazing. Um, like if somebody else is noticing something that we had not noticed, please get back to us because like that was the one thing I noticed. Um, but I know that they're doing other things in these episodes as well. And I mean, this is, these just came out guys, you know? Yeah. And I also want to point out that all three of the episodes we've talked about so far have been dealing with a sense of identity and a sense of self uh, about what is real and what is not. So I don't know if this is going to run through all of them, but it feels like these are all speaking to different portions, right? Cause you had meet me in the middle about like what somebody's expectation of somebody else is downtime. When you find out that, you're you're not who you think you are but you're what somebody hopes to be and then with this one where somebody can bounce around to be like you know different things there's a lot of identity notions in this and i think that's a wonderful and interesting uh concept to explore yeah you know honestly i didn't i didn't really think about it now that you say it like that is a great connective tissue with these three episodes i just wonder if they are going to carry that along i i kind of hope that they don't i agree because there's an element that we need to discover otherwise like maybe there might be like a three-part like kind of connective tissue that we see like it'll be this three then the next three and then we'll see something for the next four after that yeah maybe i don't know so all right i think that's uh i think that's going to do it for our discussion about the episode improper let's just get to that twist So twist rating, um, I realized that in my notes, um, I had not, uh, actually given this a twist rating. Um, but considering that like Harry kind of ends up where he wants to, whether there's ramifications for that or not, which there's going to be, I'll give that a four. Cause usually when you have somebody that's being a selfish piece of shit, uh, like in the twilight zone, like the punishment comes, and we've talked about like, there's going to be layers of hell to this, but he's ultimately where he wants to be. I did not see that coming. Yeah. I think there is like two facets to uh, this uh, twist for me. Um, Him not knowing what the hell is going to go on and like the, the cosmos playing the little trick on him and him trying to figure it out. It was a three up until the point where he found out, that Morena was cheating on him with Reese. I'm going to give that a four because now this is a lifestyle that he wanted. So he was like, you know what? I like this body. It's mm-hmm. pretty sweet. And now it's the guy that you were the, the cheaty, like whoever, you know, like whatever, like kind of verbiage you want to use. This is the person that was uh, being cheated with. Like, yeah. And now you have to maintain that lifestyle. Yeah. At what cost? At what cost, right? So, 
um, yeah, no, this was uh, this was a wonderful episode. I, I dug it, and it didn't overstay its welcome, which I know was a little longer than the previous one. Sometimes I prefer things being a little lean and mean, but again, this this it gave it enough time to breathe. It didn't hammer over and over again. Like I like this episode. Like again, and I know this is me tipping my hand. Um, as much as I was mixed about the first season, I've liked like. I liked all of the first season, but there was always kind of caveats. I've enjoyed these first three episodes a great deal. And I just, again, bring it on. Maybe, maybe we are scarred and broken after season four of the original series, but so far this has been great. It's been a lot of fun to dig into and a lot of fun to talk about. Definitely. I think that, um, our palate cleanse was season four because there were some really rough episodes, especially the last couple um to watch something that is so uh rich in story and like the i mean there's so many facets to these episodes that like they've tightened down you know like there's good cinematography there's good there's good scoring going on like we have a lot to really appreciate about what we're watching right now and that that's a true testament to what people have appreciated about the the original product of twilight zone and what they feel like need to be necessary for the the future of the mm-hmm. franchise really it's an embarrassment of riches right now like they they got big names at the time for the original series to come in they got like big name writers and directors like relatively speaking but now i feel like this is it's almost a prestige thing now because there's been such a legacy so who who wouldn't want to be involved with this? And we've gotten some great polls so far. And yeah, and I'm excited to talk. Like, I've not seen the next episode, but I see the cast list for this, and it makes me super excited. So I can't wait to talk about the next one. So yeah, this was a good one. The Who of You, great episode, a lot of fun. Like, so far, also, I want to mention that the humor that's run through, like, there there is still bits of levity in all three of these. And that's not always something that you are guaranteed, but man, it's welcome. And I appreciate it. Yeah. There's a fine balance here. And I appreciate that wholeheartedly because I think that you can really tip the scales to one way or another and lose a bit of audience. I think that there's a lot here that the, like, like the, the broader audience can really appreciate. And, I, I mean, if you can take hold of the the story for like there are a lot of people like Twilight Zone, that's all sci-fi crap, right? No. Watch this stuff, especially this season. Like there is a lot here to give for meat to digest. Like yeah. I'm I'm really digging this and I I can't wait for our fans to uh really take hold to this and get back at us and how they feel. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good, that that's a great segue to you guys can find us on Facebook at strange highways, uh, podcast. Um, I, I will make the commitment of trying to find images of the post between the episodes. This has been tough because I like control of what I show, but I'll look to find uh, production images to post between episodes and have some fun with that. You guys can uh, email us directly at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of the current Jordan Peele season uh, or your thoughts, you know, of, of Twilight Zone in general. If there's other things you want us to cover, um, we're game. As long as it's the anthology, 
we're, we are down. That would be a lot of fun. And just to let you guys know, again, I mentioned this last week, I um, uh, reactivated the Patreon because Patreon seems to be weird when there's $0 coming in, but I don't give a S or F or other letters. It's, it's patreon.com slash strange highways. There's discussions about the very first season, Alton episodes of the Jordan Peele, uh, Twilight Zone. Go there, find those episodes. If you want more content, um, there's a lot of fun conversations there. So please do that. Uh, wherever you find your podcasts, please rate and review us, whether it be Apple podcasts, Google music, uh, Stitcher, Podbean, um, bucket of pods, long John silvers. I don't know where you get your podcast, but you're listening to us right now. If you, if you like us rate and review us and recommend it to a friend, because you know, um, we've not done good about being outside and stuff. Come back inside and watch twilight zone and recommend it to a friend. Cause the more the merrier and we'd appreciate it. And we really appreciate the interaction as well. Like if you, if you dig anything we're saying, or you even want to be confrontational, I, I have no problem with that as well. No, having a debate's we, fine. I think having a spirited conversation is fine. Like I'm not against that. Like, you know, the, the hell yeah. I yeah, they expands, they expands the conversation. They expands the mind share. I'm all about that. You know, and, and like, if you feel like we've done a disservice to any of the actors and they're in any one of these episodes that have recent history, like we did not know a lot of these uh, actors. Unfortunately, um, for me, I, I don't watch a lot of television. Most of these actors are television people. So tell me what I need to watch. Tell me like the, the big names that are like of worth watching. Like if you really appreciate something that you know, Mel Rodriguez was in otherwise, Hey, tell me, please tell me. Um, but you know, I, I, I want, I want more conversations. I want people to reach out to us. Um, tell us about, uh, how you feel about these episodes. Do you love them as much as we do? Because I'm digging the hell out of these. Yeah, me too. And I just recommend that you need to check out Frank Turner, uh, as the fisherman in hot rod that rubs oil all over Andy Samberg. That's just my recommendation. <laughs> So yeah, that's going to do it for our conversation about the who of you next episode that we're getting into is season two, episode four ovation. And here is the write up per CBS, uh, access dot, dot com slash org dot gov, whatever their, their website is <clears throat> the music career of struggling singer, uh, Jasmine played by journey Smollett takes off overnight after she witnesses a tragic incident. Jasmine begins receiving rapturous applause everywhere she goes, but she soon realizes the relentless recognition comes at a, a steep cost. Tawny Newsome, Sky Ferreira, Paul F. Tompkins, and Thomas Lennon guest star. I cannot wait to talk about Paul F. Tompkins and Thomas Lennon. Like, this sounds like this is going to be a really, like, absurdist episode of Twilight Zone and more, like, not goofy, but like a weird idea. I cannot wait to talk about this. I've not seen it. It sounds fun. We also get Dan Martin in this episode. I really like Dan Martin, and I think that he has a huge catalog that we are looking forward to unfolding. Yeah, perfect. So that's going to do this for, for us this week. Have a safe week. Uh, be good. Be safe. Uh, wash your hands and wear a damn mask. You know, that's that's the reality of this. Uh, but in the meantime, um, I don't know. Um, I don't, don't, don't occupy bodies that aren't yours. That seems pretty obvious. Um, I don't know. I got nothing.
Yeah, just uh, recognize the the uh, decisions lead to an inevitable, unfortunate event sometimes. Detective Reese, and I'm here to take care of you, and everything's gonna be okay. Okay, okay. Hey, Miles. Mr. Miles. Miles. Why? I, I, what are I, you? Why are you having brains with? Yeah, babe. Where's my mommy? No, honey. Where's I, I, my mommy? Now's not a good time. Hey, where's my mommy? I really can't. I really can't talk right now. What is All right, sweetheart. I can't wait to see you. I'll call you back. Bye. Miles, I got a question for you, buddy. Do you like ice cream? Yeah. Me too. 